0: I'm here to talk about embracing your purpose, and to be perfectly honest with you, I have not been real excited about today, uh, because what I'm going to do in this lesson is basically assure you that you do indeed have a purpose. God has created all of us with an amazing purpose in mind, Um, but the only people who can get in the way of that purpose being fulfilled is guess who? us. And what I'd like to do is share with you a little bit about my story and and how I've been a failure in terms of fulfilling my purpose since I've become a Christian and kind of a little bit of my background that uh, feeds into that and and what I feel like God is teaching me uh, as I continue on this journey that we call faith in Jesus, because it is a growth process, right? Um, And so I'm hoping that a little bit of what I share, you know, some of you might connect with um, and that'll be helpful to you. But there really is not a, such a thing as a person without a purpose. We are all created in the image of God. All of us are created different, separate uh, from everything else in the world. We have this intrinsic value that God has given us as being created in his image, and he's got things that he wants us to do in life. And if we don't do those things that God wants us to do, we can say we are not fulfilling our purpose. But then if we learn to do those things, uh, we do. And Jesus says in John 10.10, you guys know that scripture very good, right? Jesus comes for what? So that you can have life and have it what? Have it to the full. You want to know what the path to having that full life is? It's learning to do this thing that we're talking about in here, which is to embrace your purpose, okay? If we don't do that, not going to happen. So a little bit about me. I grew up in a good home. Uh, My mom and dad are in the audience. A lot of you guys in the room know them. Uh, My dad is a preacher. Uh, He now works with uh, John 317, which is a ministry that uh, helps women that are struggling with addiction, Um, You see a lot of them wearing the pink shirts in the room. They're here with us today. Um, Good home for all intents and purposes. Stable, was loved. Um, What my parents didn't know is that around the age of three or four, I began being molested by some older kids that lived in my neighborhood that were older than me and stronger than me. Now, I can remember um, my behavior changing around that time in my life. I remember I began acting out quite a bit and getting in a lot more trouble and getting disciplined a lot more, Uh, and I couldn't articulate why at the time, but it was because I had this huge amount of anger inside of me that caused me to lash out, and so I was mean to other little kids, um, and I also at the time began to think that there was something inherently wrong with me. Uh, unlike other people, and so I learned at a very early age what it was to hide myself and to hide uh, these thoughts that I had and this other stuff. Guys, I started having sexual fantasies when I was four because of the stuff that happened to me, and this abuse that occurred, it wasn't just like a one-time thing. It was something that uh, was prolonged over a period of years for like three years, Um, and, and it was on the scale, it was very severe, I think the only thing that would have made it worse was had it been a family member uh, that had been doing the abuse. But it wasn't. And so I was really messed up. I discovered masturbation when I was like nine. I didn't even know what that was. Like, I didn't know what the word for it was. But there was like this secret life that I had when I was by myself that I didn't share with anybody. And so I just I felt like a freak, And I grew up thinking that about myself. And uh, like I said, the only thing I knew to do with those thoughts and those feelings was to hide it and not tell anybody. And so this was my own little secret kind of self that nobody else knew about. And I learned that I had to keep people at a distance as a little kid because I didn't want them to get close enough to me because if they see who I really am... They're going to reject me. They're not going to love me. They're going to see me as dirty and ugly as how I kind of saw myself. Fast forward a few years. I get into junior high. Excuse me. Is this going to fall over if I step on it? Let's hope not. Tippy-toe. My mouth is getting a little dry here. Fast forward to junior high. I'm a kid who already thinks that uh, I'm different and messed up compared to everybody else. And uh, a lot of you guys in the room know what happened to me in junior high um, because you've heard the story about the time I accidentally wore my mom's jeans to school that said chick real big across the rear end, right? Um, Yeah, that happened when I was 12. I already thought that I was so screwed up and unlike everybody else, it really didn't help when I did something that caused pretty much my entire class at school to start making fun of me. That just fed into this lie that you're different, you're messed up, you're unlovable, you know, you're, you're jacked up. And that was also around the time that I hit puberty. By the way, for those that have been sexually abused, it usually does one of two things to you as far as your sexual desires go. You either become completely closed off sexually or you become hypersexual. Well, I went to the hypersexual side of things, which is why I was having fantasies and all these things as a little kid. Um, but when I hit puberty and those hormones kicked in, that just made it that much worse. And so I still had this secret life where I just felt dirty and like something was wrong with me. Kids at junior high are making fun of me. It's even worse, right? That went on for about a year where I was constantly getting picked on every day. I, uh, I understand the kids at Columbine who brought a gun to school and shot up the school. I contemplated that, guys. I never did that, but I had so much anger and so much rage inside of my soul that I honestly contemplated doing that when I was in junior high, and thank goodness I didn't. But I did learn <clears throat> that all these teachings that my parents had passed on to me, like, you know, I grew up in the church, so I knew the scripture about do unto others. I knew the scripture about turning the other cheek as far as, uh, you know, how other people treated me and stuff. I, I let the bullies just kind of bully me because that's what I did. Well, I got tired of that. And when I was 13 or 14, I hit a growth spurt. And, and I realized that this nice guy that I was trying to be just wasn't cutting it in the real world. And I almost felt like I was two people. Like, because I had, like I said, all this anger that I felt like I had to push down due to this abuse that had occurred and all the other garbage I put up with. I just felt like I could never let that out. Well, I got so fed up when I was 13 or 14 at getting picked on that I decided I need to let this other guy out a little bit. Maybe maybe this things will change if I do. And so instead of trying to be the good boy at school and treating everybody the way that I thought they needed to be treated according to how I'd been raised, I decided I'm going to let this other guy out and I'm just going to beat the crap out of them if they mess with me anymore. And so... Um, I started being kind of ungodly and mean to the kids around me. Um, I also started experimenting with drugs around that time. I noticed, um, you know, I so wanted to be accepted, honestly, just by my peers. I really, really, really wanted to be accepted. Um, And so I started experimenting around with drugs because uh, I thought that the kids that were cool at my school, that was kind of something they all did. And maybe this would be a way for me to be accepted. Um, And so that was another aspect of kind of letting this bad guy out is I started experimenting around with drugs and messing with drugs. Just about everybody that uh, is addicted to drugs has some kind of trauma in their past, I learned later. Um, Before, when I was telling my story, I would have just kind of articulated myself as an addict. And that's kind of where my problems began. Now, my problems really began with this abuse that occurred when I was a kid. And I think that's really what led to me being an addict later in life. Um, I still had all this garbage going on inside of me that I never shared with anybody. Like I said, I had learned to hide very well at a very young age. And I continued hiding. I didn't let anybody know uh, what I really thought. I didn't really let anybody know about what had really happened to me in my life. I didn't let anybody know who I really was or what my fears really were anything. I just sort of played a role all the way through high school and um, eventually was accepted by my peers as this character that I was sort of acting out. It wasn't really me. And uh, it was just, it was really weird looking back. It was just really odd the way things played out. This mindset that I had continued into my college years um, a lot of you guys know I uh, I went to college for radio, television, and film. Um, I so wanted attention and validation because I felt like such a piece of trash that it felt really good to me to get attention. And I decided to go into the radio industry uh, because it just, honestly, it just made me feel good to be able to get up in front of people, and it made me feel special. It made me feel like I had worth. Um, and so that was really why I chose that career to begin with, is just because it was going to put me up in front of people, and that made me feel good. It made me feel special. And so that's what I did for a few years. Um, God wasn't really in my life. I was that kid that never believed in Santa Claus when I was really little. Um, I never really believed in God either, like my whole life, even though I went to Bible class and I knew my parents were Christians. I just never could, it's so weird, like even as a kid, I just never really believed that there was some consciousness out there or some power. I just thought that had to be sort of a fairy tale. And I wanted to believe in God, but I just couldn't bring myself to do that. Um, around the time that uh, I was 22 or 23 or so, I started thinking about killing myself one time. Uh, And some of you have heard the story, but I was uh, sitting on my couch contemplating suicide, and something told me uh, to go get that Bible that my parents had purchased for me as a graduation present uh, and to pick it up and read it. And what I read in that scripture when I plopped that Bible open after I'd prayed Uh, validated my belief in God for the first time, because it was a scripture from Psalm 73, uh, which is all about this guy who sees the wicked people around him and, you know, sort of um, thinks life is unfair and starts trying to be like celebrities and stuff like that. I'm not going to get into all the details. Basically, guys, that solidified my belief in God, and uh, that is what eventually led to me becoming a Christian. Um. Here's the hard part, and here's kind of, I told you all that other stuff is kind of a background to get to this. You ever read about Israel in the Old Testament and how they would sometimes have, uh, they would sometimes have revivals, but, and God would tell them to go and tear down the idols they had been worshiping. Have Anybody ever read that in the Old Testament? And they would sometimes go and tear down most of the idols, but then they would leave a couple. And and what would happen if they tore down most of the idols but left a couple a few generations later? What will have happened if you go read the Old Testament? That idolatry that they hadn't completely squashed out in their life eventually takes back over the spiritual life of the people. And it's almost like because they didn't completely squash those idols, they had a little bit of holy time there for a little bit, but eventually the sin just sort of took back over, and it's like they never even stopped to begin with. I feel like that's kind of what I have done in my spiritual life. Because here I am as a young man in his 20s who gets reached through a campus ministry down in Tampa, Florida. I've got all this garbage in my past. And I've got this idol of acceptance and needing validation from the people around me to feel like I'm worth something. This idol of needing attention and this motive that drives me to get up in front of people because I need that attention, because I need that validation. Because I'm deeply, deeply insecure, and I just really need pats on the back. Otherwise, I, I feel worthless. Okay? I become a Christian, and I repented of some stuff, but guess what idol I didn't tear down? I didn't tear down that idol of insecurity and finding my worth in performance, and finding my worth in attention, and finding my worth in all these things, did you know that 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 particular sin can play well in Christian circles? Did you guys know that? Did you know some of the most insecure people in the world, sinfully so, are people who can get up in front of a crowd and impress them? And uh, I started teaching in Tampa with Lynn and Carol in our ministry down there. Um, And I really think that I started leading in a campus ministry before I had the character to back it up. And what happened is, as I started uh, doing an okay job leading Bible studies and studying the Bible with people, I started getting all this positive feedback and positive attention. Um, And it, for me, became more about my getting that positive attention and positive feedback than actually blessing the people that I was there to help. Does that make sense? You know, just like to put it practically, I would go on campus and study the Bible with people because I was more excited about the pats on the back that I was going to get as a result of baptizing them than I was concerned for their soul. How screwed up is that? That's me, right? I'm still deeply, deeply insecure at that point in my life. I moved from there to go to Harding University... I'm driven to do very, very well in my Bible classes at Bible college. I want to get better grades than everybody around me. Now, does that look good for a kid to get better grades in Bible college to his Bible professors? Yeah. But why is he doing it? Because he's deeply, deeply insecure, and he needs validation from the people around him. Hey guys, I could tell you story after story um, about this sin that I've carried around in my life. And uh, some of you guys know about the, going out to California and eventually working with Francis and how that didn't work out. Guys, I'm so glad that that didn't work out because you know what would have been the worst thing for my development as a minister at that point in my life? The worst thing that could have happened to me at that point in my life, in that situation, would have been for that to work out and it be successful. Because it would have all gone straight to my head, and it would have been a look at me, I'm so great, I pulled this off all by myself kind of thing. But I think I know what God was doing, and I think God knew what he was doing when he didn't allow that to work out. And we ended up getting our butts kicked, and having to move to Missouri. Now, this move to Missouri, and here's kind of the meat of the lesson, guys. Here's, here's where, this is all coming to a point, I promise. Moving to Missouri. You want to know, the Crossings Church, what we're really good at? Relationships. That's a real strong thing that we're good at at the Crossings Church. You want to know what you guys also have? And I'm sorry if this offends anybody, but we have BS detectors at the Crossings. And there were people there that were able to see straight through this front that I was kind of putting up. And I remember Carrie sitting down and talking with me over coffee one time about my struggle with insecurity and this is after I'd been a Christian for almost 10 years. And nobody had ever talked with me like that. I remember sitting down with Robert and almost immediately him talking with me about my motives and how he, had, he suspected I had motive issues. And uh, nobody had ever done that before, right? Um, they immediately started holding my feet to the fire in terms of Uh, relationship with God and just kind of where I was personally in my walk with God. And that's so, so important, guys. And I had never let anybody before get close enough to me to really have those kind of discussions because I'd always been holding people at arm's length and not letting them get near enough, right? Right. And so I'm sharing this with you this morning as somebody who's still learning to do this. I'm, I'm, I don't feel like I'm very good at it, but I'm learning. Now, open up your Bibles real quick. Why am I telling you all this? Very simply, this lesson is about embracing your purpose in life. And I've taught on this subject many times, but I'm just realizing, like in this season of life, that embracing your purpose isn't, it's not something that I've personally been a good example of or done very well. I feel like I'm just learning to do this. Um, and I really like the way we articulate the purpose of life at the Crossings Church. There's three aspects to it. The first aspect is to love God. Um, we get this from Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. You guys remember when the, uh, the teacher of the law comes to Jesus and asks him what the greatest commandment in all the law of Moses was? And Jesus replies in Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul And with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. You want to know how I'd been unfaithful in carrying this commandment out? I felt like I could only give God my best and I couldn't give him my worst. Just last year, I went through something called Wounded Heart, which is a 12-week course for people who had been sexually abused. Uh, I had never talked about my sexual abuse before um, and didn't really think I needed to. I didn't think it was a big deal until Janice Wade sat me down across her dinner table one night and got me to share a little bit of what had happened to me in this trauma. And she looked me in the eye and she said, Wes if anybody else sat across the table from you and described to you what you just described to me, would you say they had been abused? And I was just like, ah, You know, yeah, since you put it that way, of, of course, you know. But I didn't want to apply that to myself. I, that hit me so hard yesterday when we were listening to Seedman over in the pavilion when he said, uh, I can't remember the exact quote, but it was something like, you still have darkness in your life. If you're the guy who's going around saying everybody else needs help, but not really you, you you're carrying the darkness. with Guys, I was carrying the darkness with me and, and I just didn't want to give it up. I had all this garbage in my past that I didn't want to deal with because I thought it would be easier to not deal with it. But what I'm learning is I'm not loving God well if I'm not willing to give him all of me. Even the darkest and nastiest stuff. I'm not loving him well if I'm not willing to give it all up and and offer, like, free access to everything, right? The second point or part of the purpose of life, fulfilling the purpose of life, or uh, what is the purpose of life, rather, uh, first one's love God, the second one's to love one another. Second part is to love one another. And this is uh, Jesus talking in John 13, verses 34 and 35, He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That is spoken to disciples. This isn't a general command to love everybody. That's why he says, a new command I give you. He's telling disciples to love fellow disciples, or he's telling Christians to love fellow Christians. If you go study the book of Acts, one of the things that really stood out to me in my my study of that is this love that the church had for the church, like other people in the church, and the way they fellowshiped with one another and shared with one another and gave to one another and spent time and enjoyed one another. That was contagious to everybody around them. And so you had these outsiders coming into the church because of the love they saw saw, uh, shared among the church members. Now, Same way, how did I fail at this? How have I been a failure at this? I'm not willing or haven't been willing to let people get close enough to me to know about all this garbage that I carry around with me. Same as I'd done to God, I didn't think I needed people to know me that well. This has been the number one reason that I've done a poor job uh, leading ministries in the past. Um, you know, my wife and I are very evangelistic and we can go out and meet people and we can study the bible with them and we can baptize them But we found over years of ministry that we really struggled Helping people grow past just that initial commitment and we would end up having a lot of people fall away in our ministries After we had baptized them and they wouldn't develop into mature christians. You want to know why? Mainly because I didn't know how to love just on a practical day-to-day level. I had never learned how to growing up because I had never loved anybody my whole life. And this is something that I'm still processing. And guys, like I said, I just went through this Wounded Heart class at the end of last year. I'm still processing a lot of this stuff, but I feel like I'm just now as a 36-year-old, nearly 36-year-old man, learning how to love people. And uh, that's because I never allowed... Anybody around me, I never allowed them to know what had happened to me growing up or what was really going on inside of me. I felt the need to hide my whole life. And I feel like I'm just now getting to the point where I don't have to do that anymore. And I think for so many of the churches and ministries that I encounter here, let me tell you guys, one of the biggest weaknesses I see commonly is just kind of the shallowness of relationships that exist within churches. And I think if we're going to embrace our purpose, we have to get past these shallow relationships that we have with one another. We have to look back at this command, not only to love God, but what does it look like to love one another? And what I'm learning is the more vulnerable we can be, with one another just on a daily basis. When we get together, I know at our church, uh, we do uh, small groups on Sundays, but then we also have what we call girl time and guy time, uh, which our ladies will get together on one night, our guys will get together just guys on another night. And that's really a time where we share what's going on in our lives. You know, That's when we'll confess sin. Um, And what I'm learning is the more vulnerable we can be with one another, the closer we get to one another. And that scares the crud out of me. And it's something that I'm just now learning to do. And it's still scary. But you know, I've carried all this darkness around inside of me. What drives out darkness? On a practical level, what does it look like to let light in as far as relationships go? Vulnerability. And if you get with a group of people, we got the, we got the phrase, but ugly honest, that we use at the crossings, which is, it sounds gross, and it is, because uh, you're gross and so am I. So we may as well just be gross together. Be but ugly honest, right? And if you can be but ugly honest with the people around you, I was so afraid, like, my biggest fear was rejection. Like, if people really see me, if they really see who I am, if they really know what happened and what I think and, like, the things I've done, they're going to reject me. But what I'm finding is it's the opposite. The more honest I can be about my deepest, darkest secrets, the more vulnerable the person sitting across from me feels like they can be with me And I don't care what you've done. I don't care what's been done to you. There's redemption and salvation and healing that you can find in Jesus Christ. And if we can learn just to share that stuff, to share our deepest, darkest secrets, our deepest, darkest fears, the worst things we've ever done, if we can share that with one another in love we can fulfill that passage in Galatians that says to bear one another's burdens. But if we're unwilling to share that, we're not giving the people around us an opportunity to bear that burden with us. We're not giving them an opportunity to let us bear their burden. We're not loving one another. And so guys, I have failed at this purpose of loving you Because I haven't been open and vulnerable with you in the past. And that's something I'm working on. And it may be something you need to work on too. This third part of uh, your purpose purpose of life first is loving God, second is loving one another, the third part is loving the lost. Loving the lost. You guys will always hear the Great Commission at a Campus Ministry United event. Like, it's something, we we are go-getters as far as carrying out this Great Commission, right? We talk about this a lot. The Great Commission is in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Uh, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. If you had asked me a few years ago to come and preach a a lesson on embracing our purpose, it would have just been the Great Commission. That's all you would have heard from me. I wouldn't have talked about any of this other stuff, because pointing the finger out and saying, go get them, guys, for me, that's safe. It's not pointing at me, (laughs) but what I'm learning still is if we're going to fulfill this command to go out and make disciples, we better make sure we're good disciples for them to look up to. We better make sure that we don't get the cart before the horse, because if we're not loving God well, and we're not loving one another well, what are we going to teach these new people that are coming in? Are we going to teach them to embrace the purpose God has created them to embrace if we're not showing them this is how you love God and this is how you love one another? Because I think one of the reasons my ministries have struggled, I told you before, it's because I haven't fulfilled this command to love God and love one another well. And so, yes, Great Commission That is the mission of the church. Absolutely. That's something you're always going to hear about at a Campus Ministry United event. We want to hit that campus. We want to go get them. But you know what you need to put in front of that priority? And I'm not saying you neglect this at all. But what I am saying is your character matters. And if you're loving God the way you need to love God, that's going to affect your character. If you're loving one another the way you need to love one another, that's going to affect your character. And you want to know one of the things that is really going to matter to these new people that you're reaching and discipling that you better be working on? It's your character. Because if we're going to be people who are not only baptizing, but then teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, as Jesus says to do, we better make sure we're carrying out That stuff in our own lives, too. And if we are, it's going to affect who we are on the inside. Because most of Jesus' teaching in the Gospels, guys, they're about who you are and your inner man and inner woman. It's about your character. And so we can't get the cart before the horse. Um, And so you may be asking, guys, what do I need to change here to do this? It depends on your strengths and weaknesses. Uh, My story may be different from yours. You may not have grown up getting abused, but I don't care if you don't have the same issues I do. You've got issues. All of us have issues. And the way we work on our issues is loving God, loving one another, and making sure we're doing that, loving the lost, right? Um... All right, I'm going to wrap it up here. I'm sorry this was a little discombobulated, but uh, I think I communicated what I wanted to communicate. Uh, So that's good. Um, We're going to go ahead and break in a second. Passion for reaching the lost is so important, and I don't want us to lose that. But I want you guys to leave this lesson today understanding that along with that passion for reaching the lost, as far as embracing your purpose goes, you need to have an equal passion for loving God and letting him affect your character. And guys, please be open and honest with one another because that is how we love one another. That's something I'm still learning to do, but if I can learn to do it, you can too. Um, I think that's it. Let's go ahead and pray and then uh, we'll break. God, thanks uh, for bringing us together here at the Campus Ministry United Workshop in Tulsa. Um, I pray for the rest of the workshop to go well. I'm uh, looking forward to the rest of the classes we've got going on today. Father, I know this, uh, this was kind of a crazy deal here in this class, and I just pray that uh, what was communicated, the stuff that's really important, will ring home, uh, that people will understand that the only way Uh, we're really going to be able to embrace our purpose is to cure the darkness in our hearts. And the way we do that is to let the light in where we're vulnerable with you, we're vulnerable with one another, and we have that passion for reaching the lost, but an equal measure passion for working on our own character and continued repentance. I pray we remember that as we leave, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.